0: everybody welcome back to episode 20 of season three and i guess i gotta say happy new year because this is the first recording of 2024 it's a special one um the fan is not recording today he is enjoying a nice vacation um well deserved during the holiday break but the fanatic is here which means the show can still go on you know we got to talk about a lot of stuff that happened this week, especially in the football world, in the NFL, and obviously the college football playoffs started today with the two semifinal matchups. So we'll dive into that. But we first got to talk about our usual segment, the Dallas Cowboys. But this is a special one because your co host, AKA The Fanatic, was there in person for. His vacation this past week, he got to check out the Detroit Lions and the Dallas Cowboys dueling it out on Saturday night, primetime, with a Monday night football um, edition, you could say, with the ESPN broadcast doing it. But this game was really crazy just because of my experience and also the game itself. Um, You know, second time for me going to ATT Stadium. First time in over 10 years. So a lot of things have changed. Um, There's a nice Miller Lighthouse. That's kind of a popular thing for Dallas Cowboy fans. And really, anyone visiting AT&T Stadium definitely would recommend that. Um, A lot of good food, drinks, entertainment going on before the game. So it was fun. I was having a lot of fun. Kind of had to control myself a little bit because I started to feel a little... Too high, I guess you could say. Um, You know, a lot of good deals on the alcoholic beverages. Um, Yeah, so I had to kind of slow down a little bit throughout the day. But nevertheless, it was fun um, with the pregame, the hype. But the game was a little bit of a roller coaster for me. And for everyone that was watching, I guess you could say it was basically the same thing. Because Dallas... Just seems to always, you know, give me the highest level of stress possible in every quote unquote big game. I would say this was a big one because of who we were playing and what we're playing for. Um Dallas coming into the game, still in play for the division, also the number two seed, but they gotta beat Detroit and they gotta beat the Washington Commanders to do so. And the first step was to take care of business on Saturday night against Detroit. And they did that, but stakes were high. The stakes were high, like I mentioned. Um, So I was hoping Dallas could, could start off fast. Um, You know, being at home, they're a different team. Uh, They had two tough road games against Buffalo and against the fans, Dolphins, tough losses for us with blowouts and also a close walk-off loss. So I was like, we need to start fast. And it wasn't really the greatest start, I would say, because the Lions, yes, the defense overall, I would say, played pretty well. But, you know, the Lions move the ball down the field the first drive. I'm like, oh, no, here we go again. They get points. Dallas doesn't end up scoring. So it's like, oh, boy. Like that kind of, to me, sets the tone for the game. It's the first drive for each team. And Detroit definitely got that edge to start off. But really, the big play that kind of just changed the whole momentum of the game was C.D. Lamb's big 92-yard touchdown bomb. The fans were going crazy. I was going crazy. Um, you know, that was the start of my voice being lost for the whole night. <laughs> I only got it back, I believe, New Year's Eve morning, which was the morning after the game. Couldn't really talk after the game, but that was kind of the start where I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, the... The cheering just started going ballistic from there. But CD Lamb's play was huge because it was a momentum swing because it was a third and long. Um, Dak looks like he's going to be sacked in the end zone for a potential safety. So not only does he avoid that, he ends up escaping out of the pocket and he hits CD Lamb in stride, a beautiful throw um, by Dak and a great catch by CD. You know, he had to kind of extend... And really use his hands on that one. Um, but that was huge. Um, to just get us with a lead. Obviously, if we were in a lead, um, we're a totally different team. Because we can rush the passer like no other team. And that's what you want to do. We want to play to our strengths. And we were able to keep the lead. Um, you know, through the first half, it was a just a yucky, really a yucky game, really. Um, overall, uh, offensively, There just wasn't a lot of things that I I liked in this game. Um, I was screaming at the game specifically for Tony Pollard because I thought Tony Pollard just had a rough game. He really had a rough game. His highlight of the game was probably his blitz pickup, which was pretty good. But just the inefficiency with the ball carrying, um, he had a couple huge drops in the passing game that I thought was going to be huge plays for us just to extend the drive, give us points. Um, But he had a rough game. So I don't know if that's because Rico Dowdle was hurt going into the game. So we didn't really have a quote unquote, number two back. Um, Deuce Vaughn came in sporadically, but you know, he's not really a true threat for bulk carries. Um, But Pollard, yeah, just, it's been a tough season for him. And, you know, he's, Close to a thousand yards, which is kind of amazing. Probably the most unimpressive thousand-yard campaign possible. Maybe outside of Zeke's year, that one year. Um, I think it was twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty-one, where he just had a very sluggish year, but he still had a thousand yards. It's kind of what it feels like with Pollard right now. Um, like I, I, don't see the the burst. I don't see the explosiveness, and it's it's a shame because he's a good he's a good player, and I just think the injury that he sustained last year with the 49ers loss in the playoffs. uh, He's having a tough time overcoming that. Um, But outside of CeeDee Lamb, who, by the way, record-setting night, 13 catches, 227 yards, the 92-yard touchdown catch that I mentioned, really outside of him, there wasn't much going on. Brandon Cooks had a couple big moments but that's kind of what Brandon Cooks has become this year. He's a guy, you know, he's going to make big-time plays, I believe. Um, Dak trusts him. But he's not going to put up, you know, 10 catches, 100 yards every single game. That's just not who he is at, at this point in his career. Um, so we really, it's kind of a CD or bust offense right now. And that's the thing that's concerning. Jake Ferguson had a pretty quiet night. Uh He, I thought, had a couple passes where he was like, ooh, maybe you could have caught that one. Uh, it was tough throws by Dak, but still some plays that I thought should have been made. But, you know, the offense was struggling. But luckily, the defense, hey, you hold Detroit's explosive offense to under 20 points. That's a pretty good game. And really, the defense did a great job, I thought. Uh, Montgomery and Gibbs. You know, they're they're a tough duel, but there just wasn't that big explosive play where it was like, okay, this is gonna hurt a lot. But I thought the defense did a great job on the run. DeMarcus Lawrence, outstanding. I think he's been the best run defender all year. Um, Micah Parsons. Um didn't have a sack, but the run defense was there, and that's encouraging to see because we're gonna need him to play run defense in the playoffs. Um, there's, there's no going around that, Like even if he's not putting up sacks, he's gotta be a difference maker on the field. And he was a difference maker on the field in this game. So although he didn't get the sack numbers, I felt his presence defensively and it's worth noting. So it's a great improvement from Michael who has been a liability at times in that run defense, but Hey, this was a bounce back effort for him. Um, but the really, the, the real chaos that everybody's been talking about is that fourth quarter. And, you know, I'm going to take it back before the Lions score. Um, you know, Jared Goff gets picked off by Donovan Wilson, a terrific play by him. Um, you know, they were just throwing outs, short outs the whole game. He jumped it. That's what I thought guys would have been doing more. Um, but golf threw two picks, right? Jordan Lewis, who, by the way, had another great game. Um, he had a pick. He jumped the screen route earlier in the game. So two times Dallas was able to jump the routes. Donovan Wilson's one came late in the game. I'm thinking we're up by four. Um, Detroit's got, I believe, two timeouts. Like, okay, we got. we're already in field goal range. We just got to, you know, run the clock. We'll drain it down under a minute and we'll kick the field goal. No, that, that that's not what happened. I think the whole world thought what that would happen, but Mike McCarthy said, nah. He, like he calls a pass first off, and then on that exact play there's a tripping there's a tripping penalty called or excuse me, there's a run called and then there's a tripping penalty called in that play, which was totally I don't even know what the word is, but that was not a tripping play. Because the tripping should have been on Aiden Hutchinson and not my tight end, Peyton Hendershot, who got flagged. So instead of having second and two after our first down play, we get backed up to first and 25. And, you know, tough situation, right? Possibly out of field goal range. So Mike McCarthy calls a pass on first down. I was like, that's kind of a question one. But I understand you want to get into field goal range, right? So I'm okay with that pass. It was a high percentage pass. Dak made the play. Um, you know, you go to CD or in that kind of situation. But it's the second down play that really disturbed me because we're already in field goal range. And you call a go route? A go route. Keep in mind, we're up by four. We're not down. We're up. So all you're trying to do is get Detroit to burn their timeouts. So all you got to do is keep the ball in play and get a positive yard. Even if you get stuff, honestly, you're in field goal range. You got Brandon Aubrey, who has been perfect and is still perfect, kicking field goals. But you want to drain time. And by calling that idiotic go route, you leave an extra 45 seconds of game clock. And lo and behold, that comes back to haunt you. Because the Lions score with about twenty seconds left in the game. They go boom, 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 right down the field. So yes, the defense, I was critical of them last week. I said they should have been better. I needed a stop when they had to. But in that situation, they shouldn't even have been in that in that situation if their coach was smart and didn't allow them to to feel that pressure. It's a whole lot of it's a whole different scenario when you're playing defense and you have a minute 40 to defend a minute 40 to defend versus under a minute with maybe 55 seconds is night and day because you just got to tackle a guy inbounds once the clock's going to run 15 to 20 seconds you're going to win the game as long as you don't give up and you know a deep pass over the top but a minute 40 is a totally different situation so I'm not going to crucify My defense there, that is on Mike McCarthy. You cannot put your team in that situation. That's how you lose playoff games. That's how you as a coach get fired first off. So you allow the Lions to go right down the field, get a touchdown. Everyone's saying they're going to go for two. Dan Campbell goes for two and they end up getting it. So we thought. Then there was that play, the whole debate where, you know, 68 didn't report. Um, you know, I'm, I I'm a Cowboys fan. I, I'll take the result, but I do understand where the Lions are coming from. Um, for the ref to quote unquote, just kind of assume that the the number seventy guard skipper was reporting because he was doing that the whole game. Like you, you can't assume everything's gonna be the same, especially late in the game when you know there's gonna be some kind of bag of tricks that Dan Campbell is going to pull out. It's a game on the line play. It's not going to be a traditional play. So you as a ref need to be observant of that. And I thought he did a terrible job. Um, You know, it looks like 68 did everything that he was supposed to do. And the ref just ignored him. So theoretically, yes, it was the right call because the ref didn't see it. But the ref made a general assumption that he shouldn't have made in my opinion. So I understand where the Lions fans are disappointed in that call, but I get it where you're trying to go for the win. But in that same time, I feel like Dan Campbell, I know that's his identity, but were you really going to go for it again after you got the penalty? Cause you get backed up to the eight and I get it. Yeah, the next play, right? There's an interception. So I'm going crazy. Like, oh my gosh, we won the game. But Micah Parsons is offsides, And there's no one to blame except him. Like, dude, just line up on the, on the opposite side of the ball. It's not that hard. It's one of the things that I get so frustrated about with the Cowboys. Is they always do that every single game. And for this one, it just came at the worst possible time. So, Micah Parsons had a great game, but that one game, that one play could have costed us the, the season, you could say. So, you can't do that. But at the same time, from Detroit's standpoint, I don't agree with going for two on the eight yard line. It's different. Yeah, if you're on the two yard line, but you're going to really put Jared Goff in a definite drop back pass situation. Like, that's a recipe for disaster, especially against a Dallas defensive line with a pass rush. So they get bailed out with the penalty by Parsons. Uh, You know, they run the third play again. They don't get it incomplete. Game over. But just the the whole situation, um, it was a wave of emotion for me. Tough one, uh, because I thought I was going to be the victim of, you know, Dallas ending their... 15 game home win streak, and I was going to be the one there. You know, I went to the San Fran game in Levi. They got absolutely boat rushed by the 49ers. I was like, oh my gosh, like I cannot be 0 2 in Dallas Cowboy games that I attended this year with a team that's going to the playoffs. So they're a winning team, but I go to both games that they lose. Like, what the heck? Like, no, that can't be on my resume. But I'm glad they won. You know it was a great experience. I am definitely going back uh you know as soon as I can, but obviously financial situations depend on that but it's a it's a great experience so for any of you guys that are you know curious about what an nFL game is like, if you haven't been to one, I recommend going to one um it's crazy it's a crazy environment but really before we move off of this game, both teams really um Tough one for Detroit because they lose their playoff seeding now. Dallas has a tiebreaker over them. So, you know, barring something really, 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 really crazy, Detroit possibly would be in the three seed. But they did lose out on the number one seed, which was huge. Um, And for Dallas's sake, at the time, we won. So it's like the pressure is put on Philly. And lo and behold, I don't know if it's a Christmas miracle for Cowboys fans. But Kyler Murray and the Cardinals go into Philly. They beat the the Eagles. So now both teams are tied at 11-5 and five with one week to go. But the Cowboys have one less conference loss now with the, the Eagles dropping to the Cardinals. So the Cowboys now control their own destiny to the number two seed in the NFC now. And that's huge because we can lock up two home playoff games. And that's a big thing for a team that is undefeated at home with a 15 game winning streak going there. So, you know, we got to take care of business next week against Washington. It's plain and simple. You win, you're the two seed, you get to play at home. And we're at, when we are at home, we are a different team. So we got to find that right stride. It's going to be a road game against the commanders, a division game. So it's tough, but I like our chances. So With that being said, I think that's a good transition to go to our next NFL team, the Miami Dolphins. We cover it a lot. That's our two teams. I know the fan isn't here, um, but I'll give a brief kind of my take, I guess, for once on the Dolphins. Um, You know, they they lose pretty bad 56 to 19. Um, The Ravens, it was a battle for the one seed in the AFC. Uh, Lamar Jackson probably just locked up the MVP race. Five touchdown game for him 320, 321 yards in the air. Um, you know, Tua had a rough game. I thought, from my perspective, he had two tough interceptions. Um, personally, I I didn't think they they were good throws. Um, but really, for Miami's sake. Um, this is kind of like a Dolphins' worst nightmare, I feel like, because they were in firm control of the division. Um, no real pressure, you could say. Nobody was really questioning that they were going to make the playoffs. They had a good win against Dallas, you know, questionable one that Dallas gave them, but nonetheless, they did beat Dallas, which was a good win for them. But if you just look in the standings right now, they're, they didn't clinch the division. And the NFL gods were watching, and they knew that Miami and Buffalo were going to be the two teams that were going to be dueling it out. And they play each other to close out the season on Sunday Night Football, a winner-take-all for the division and the number two seed on the line in the AFC. So what could have been a great situation for Miami, you could have got the one seed potentially. If you beat Baltimore, you would have had your own destiny and your path to control. But now you're just fighting for not only the division, but you're fighting for you know to avoid that wild card round. And I don't know how this the, the seeding works, but you have Cleveland there. If they win, say Miami loses, they could be the sixth seed. And guess where you would end up going? Yeah, you would play Patrick Mahomes in the first round at Arrowhead. That's not a good look. From where this team was, I thought everyone was saying, oh, this is a team, you know, Super Bowl potential. Tyreek Hill, offensive player, of the year candidate, you know, they just got weapons all over the field. But for everything, to me, that was so high a couple of weeks ago with the Dallas win... Now it's like, ooh, if you really look at the situation, they could drop potentially to the sixth seed with a loss, with just a loss to Buffalo. So you lose out on the division and you potentially have to go to Arrowhead to face Patrick Mahomes. I know the Chiefs are not the same this year, but it's still Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs on the road in the playoffs. That's a tough, tough situation to play in. Um, For a team that's really trying to fight the same narrative that my team is fighting, right? Can they win on the road? Can they beat good teams? Um, You know, can they succeed in the playoffs? The Dolphins have not had success in the playoffs. Really worse than Dallas, you could say. So for them to go on the road when potentially they were cruising to an AFC East title a couple weeks ago, that's a little concerning. So it's going to be a tough one, I think. Um, Buffalo, Miami—it can go either way. But at least Miami has that game at home. Um, so that's my my take. I'm not gonna go into the fans, you know, nitty gritty stuff. But I I'll just say from a perspective wise, there is a chance they could play Patrick Mahomes in the first round, and that's a scary thing to me if you're a Dolphins fan. But nonetheless. Let's move on. Before we get off the NFL topic, I do want to talk about Russell Wilson a little bit. Um, the Denver Broncos announced that he was being benched um, for this coming game. And I just think it's a really unfortunate situation. Um, really for the Broncos, just poorly poorly managed. Um, Sean Payton, I have no idea what your intention was, but this is not a good look not a good look for you and not a good look for the Broncos because you're setting yourself up for failure. If you continue to be the coach of this team, because let's say free agents want to sign. Why would they want to go to Denver? If you're not going to have their backs as players. And that's the thing that really sucks to be a Broncos fan. It's not so much the Russell Wilson contract. It's the future of this team. And if you trade Russell Wilson, and it looks like they're going to do that, who is going to want to come play for you? That means you need to nail it in the draft with your picks. And if you don't do that, you're in trouble. Um, I just think Russell Wilson, on his side, he's handled it beautifully. Um, I haven't been the hugest Russell Wilson fan in my time you know, with his play and even sometimes his antics off the field. I think it's a little bit corny at times, but the way that he's handling himself with this benching is very professional. And I don't think a lot of guys can do what he's doing in the NFL and just the way that he's handling it as a teammate. I know as a competitor, you're, you're dying inside, Like you want to be on the field. you're, You're the quarterback of the team. You're the leader. You're the captain it sucks to be a guy that you really don't have control over what's going on. But I just think as a teammate, he's done a great job handling this situation. So I wanted to shout out Russell Wilson for that, but the Broncos, what are you guys doing, man? You guys are a mess. Um, Sean Payton. I think you just need to look yourself in the mirror um, and really just, just reset. (laughs) I don't know if coaching is the right thing for you right now. if, If it's kind of a new era of coaches, but, you know, it's not working. The, the Your style, it, it's outdated. And things need to change fast for you to have success. So I'm not a Broncos fan. So good luck <laughs> with whatever you guys do. But hey, that's your guys' problem, not mine. I'm just pointing out, you know, the things that I see as an outsider. But okay. I think that's good in the NFL. Let's talk about... College football, real quick, before we wrap up this pod. Um, like I mentioned, college football playoffs started today on New Year's Day. Rose Bowl was a classic. Actually, both games were a classic. Um, you know, Alabama and Michigan. Michigan comes out 27 to 20. Um, kind of a crazy game because, you know, everyone was saying, oh, Alabama going to upset Michigan. And it looked like it. Honestly, um, really through the first half, it was neck and neck. I thought, um, but the third quarter, everything kind of changed. I thought Alabama seized momentum and really it was Michigan that kept Alabama afloat. I felt, um, the special teams, something that needs to be addressed for Michigan. That was one of the poorest special team performances I've seen in a college football playoff, um, You know they missed a field goal in the second half. They had a muff punt late in the game that was would have been an all-time classic Rose Bowl memory if you lose a game of a muff punt that ends up being a safety or potentially a touchdown. Um, And then you have the fumbled PAT. You know in the first half, right? Just to name a few things that went wrong. But you look at it, that fumbled PAT was huge because that would have been that one point difference in regulation. Um, but really my, my takeaway from this game is I I like to look at the quarterbacks in these games, right? Alabama, Michigan, both teams, gritty physical teams, right? Similar play style. They want to establish the run game. Both teams did a pretty good job. I thought, um, Blake Corum was his usual self had to kind of grind out some yards. Um, but you know, he had his moment late in the game, uh, Chase McClellan for Alabama, you know he's their bell cow back, and then obviously Jalen Milrow is a a huge factor in their run game as well with the quarterback. Quarterback runs, um, so both teams really kind of established that. But I was thinking, whichever quarterback is gonna make the play was gonna win this game, and Jalen Milrow had a great season from where he started. I, I mean, I've never seen a transformation like that. To where a guy has so much confidence, just grow and grow each week. So he's had a great season, but this game, Michigan, really kept him under control. I thought in the passing game, he he just didn't have that that it factor, that that throw that would just kind of keep your defense on edge, where it's like, oh, like we got to kind of respect that. But I thought everything was really, you know, design runs, right? McClellan running, or if it was Jalen Milrow they were running the counter, the quarterback counter. And that was really their best play of the game for him as an offensive playmaker, but for the sake of Michigan, you know, JJ he wasn't he wasn't much better, he was better, honestly, but the thing that I thought JJ you know had that Jalen Miracle hat didn't have was he had that one drive where you just kind of need your quarterback to just take you home. And that's a huge thing I believe in, in terms of a team winning a championship in football, whether it's you know, college or even the NFL. There's always going to be a point where you face adversity, your team is down, and you just need a drive from your quarterback to just lead you. There's no, no other way to put it. It's like, hey, you're QB one, you take us home. And JJ had that moment. And it was nice to see because it was him and the local boy Roman Wilson, the wide receiver for Michigan, who had the game-tying touchdown catch. Um, so that was a great moment for for the state of Hawaii, for Roman Wilson. But, you know, JJ made some big time throws, big time plays, and he saved Michigan from, you know, the scrutiny of being able to, uh, you know, not come through in the playoffs. You know, they would have been 0-3 in the past three years. So, huge moment for JJ. Um, they end up forcing overtime. Blake Corum breaks a big run. And then Alabama comes down. They get stopped on fourth down. Kind of a questionable call, I thought, with the game on the line, fourth and goal at the three. The quarterback power is really the, the call. Um, I would have liked to see some creativity. I agree with keeping the ball in Mirro's hands, letting him kind of run and scramble, but just to do a quarterback, straight quarterback draw power is, that's, I don't know. I feel like you can think of a better play to scheme, scheme a run play for Jalen Mirro there. But Michigan wins. They will play Washington next week because the Huskies beat the Longhorns in the Sugar Bowl in the second game. This one was... Kind of crazy just because Washington was firmly in control. I thought, you know, there was a shootout in the first half. Washington seized control in the third quarter. Um, I don't think anybody's going to stop this offense. But Texas, you know, they did a great job, I thought. You know, they had two big turnovers, two big fumbles. But they hold Washington to three points. They didn't give up the touchdown, let the game get out of hand. You know, you keep it to 13 points, they get a touchdown late. And then, you know, kind of the chaos started when um, Dylan Johnson, the Washington running back, he goes down late in the game when Washington is just trying to run out the clock. So I would say Dylan Johnson runs the ball. They take the clock down to maybe 18 seconds left in the game, but he gets hurt. On the play. So the clock stops, Texas declines the runoff. So now Texas keeps a huge additional amount of time on the clock where I don't think Washington was expecting that. I don't think anybody's expecting an injury. And especially for Washington, right? If you're injured, you got to try to get off the field so that situation doesn't occur. But Dylan Johnson was banged up. I don't know what his status is going to be for the championship game, but it gives Texas time. They punt the ball and then there's a penalty for fair catch interference. So 15 yards. And Texas gets a big chunk play, you know, later in the drive. They get all the way down to the 15 yard line of Washington. I'm like, oh my goodness, are they really going to choke this game? Um, and you know, Washington, they really bended but didn't break. They they en- they ended up holding them. Um, you know, it was a kind of a gritty game because Washington on that drive, I thought. They they brought a cover zero blitz. Um, Ewers got away, threw the ball away, but questionable call. I just think that's a questionable call in that situation, especially with Texas, with Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell on the outside. They were throwing the jump balls earlier, and it was working. So to allow that, that was like a perfect play call, right? If you blitz and you call that basically a fade in the end zone, one-on-one, let your best receiver win the matchup. That's what you want in that situation. And they had the chance. It's just I don't think that play was called at the right time. But I think Washington should have kept their safeties back and really just defend the end zone at that time. So definitely some things Washington needs to clean up. Um, but their offense is is lethal. Um, them in Michigan, it's going to be a tough one. But my early prediction from watching Washington really mostly throughout the season, being an Oregon fan, um, I know what the team is capable of. And they're explosive. Um, and like I said, I believe the team with the best quarterback who has that moment is going to be the team that wins. I think Michael Penix, you know, right now is playing better ball than J.J. McCarthy. So I'm going to pick Washington to beat Michigan in an early prediction for the CFP National Championship. But last thing I want to talk about, um, you know, being a Ducks fan, it's not a playoff game, but Oregon did wrap up their season today against Liberty. Nothing really special. I was saying it was like Hawaii playing Georgia in the Sugar Bowl in 2008. Um, Just a total mismatch. But more about the game, Um, you know, Oregon really did whatever they want. They're the more physical team up front. They have better weapons on the outside. Bo Nix was just outstanding. And for him to cap off his legendary career at Oregon, he breaks Marcus's record for passing touchdowns and passing yards. And also breaks the NCAA completion percentage record for a season, which was held by Mac Jones in 2021. So just an outstanding, outstanding career for Bo. Um, I'm happy for him and I'm really happy that he he went out this way. You know, a lot of athletes now especially with the transfer portal, right, the NFL draft, if they're not in the college football playoff, guys aren't going to play in their bowl games. And before bowl games were like a privilege. Right? You play for these kind of games to be in the Fiesta Bowl, like that's a huge honor. And guys don't see it that way because they, You know, they just care about the money, right? You know, you're doing it for the money. But I respect Bo for playing. Um, he definitely did not do it for the money. It, and Dan Lining said this in his press conference. Or in, Scott's not his press conference, in his pregame speech with the game day crew, guys are playing for the love of the game. And that is exactly what it is. Bo Nix, he, he has nothing to gain, really. But he's doing this because he's the leader of this team. He loves this team, and he's given everything to this program. And I respect the heck out of the guy with that much in- integrity and class. So I wish Bull nothing but the best. Um, he's embodied what it means to be a duck. Um, and you could make the case, really, outside of Marcus, he he's knocking on that Justin Herbert. Joey Harrington um door in terms of who the Oregon great quarterbacks are. And I know he's only been there for two years, but, you know, I, I've seen the impact that he's had on this team and he's really been a huge part of this team's success. So I'm excited for what the future holds with Dylan Gabriel being the next guy coming in, but just a great close to the legendary career of Bo Nix as a collegiate quarterback. But all right, I think that's that's good enough. Uh, my voice is getting a little hashed. I'm still not quite recovered from the Dallas game, just the FYI. So, sorry about that, but let's finish this podcast up. My foolish fool of the week. Um it's definitely the Raptors, man. Um the Pistons ended their they ended their 28 game losing streak to the Raptors. I know it would have ended eventually, but it just sucks to be that team to really end the historic streak. So, sorry, Toronto. You guys are the foolish fools of the week. Um, our state of the 808, I know the fan not only does this segment, but I'll do one anyway because Roman Wilson, the guy from St. Louis, um, from Maui, actually, wide receiver for Michigan. He had four catches, 73 yards, and a touchdown in Michigan's win versus Alabama today in the college football playoff and also had the game-tying touchdown catch. So shout-out to Roman Wilson. Um, Heck of a performance in a big-time game. And last but not least, our sports fact of the day. So I'm recording here on January 1st, and I'll go back to 2015 when the Oregon Ducks played number three Florida State for the Rose Bowl, in the first college football playoff game, Marcus Mario versus Jameis Winston, the Heisman Trophy battle, and Oregon came out on top 59 to 20, and one of the biggest wins in Oregon football history. So that's our sports fact of the day, and also the conclusion of this podcast. So next week, we'll be back with our usual stuff. The fan and the fanatic will be back for the episode, so... Until then, stick around and thanks for listening.